Hi there, this is Robin from More Than Mothering, and you're listening to episode 21 with Cheryl. Welcome to the More Than Mothering podcast, where we highlight admirable moms in every stage and with all different experiences and skill sets. We believe moms are the experts in their own home, and we can all learn and be inspired by each other. Cheryl was actually a nomination that came to me through my grandma, and I'm so glad she did. All I knew about Cheryl in going into this interview was that she had adopted triplet girls. And this experience of talking to her about fostering and adoption was so eye-opening and such an educational experience. I also apologize for the sound quality of this interview. Aside from some technical difficulties, when I got home and listened to the recording, I realized that there was some white noise in the background from a heater or some sort of fan that I didn't hear when in the room, but my camera picked it up. I felt like the content was too good not to share, but the audio quality is not as good as I would love to be able to give. Sounds good. Jokes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Ready? <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm ready. Sounds good. I'm here with Cheryl. Cheryl's a mom to five. Hus- uh, her husband's name is Josie. You guys have been married for 19 years. Mm-hmm. And you have two biological children and three adopted. That's right. Little girls. So mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. Um, I have struggled knowing where to start this interview, start my questions for you. Um, but I guess, was fostering always a plan for you guys or did that come later? No, it was not a plan. Wasn't even on the radar. Um, We got married and, you know, wanted to have a family. Uh, Originally thought we'd have four kids and then after having our second, I decided that two was plenty. Okay. I don't like being pregnant. Amen. Um, Pretty miserable for me. So we thought we were done and we're fine with it. And then, um, down the road, oh gosh, maybe five years. Okay. It might have been about five, Dane, when we started talking about friends who were fostering okay. um, or adopting or, you know, doing application processes to adopt from Ethiopia, things like that. Okay. Um, but still, we weren't looking at it as something we were interested in. It was just more, we knew people and okay. it was opening up a conversation. Um, it wasn't until actually we had a friend whose daughter was in a situation where um, we were you know, pre- presented with the opportunity of, well, you know, what if she needs help with sure. the baby? Um, and we thought, well, if we would be willing to help a friend out, then why would we not help other kids? So. Okay. But at that point, you know, people would come into our life and we just had little deposits of um, interactions with people who did foster care and it had just opened up a dialogue that we hadn't had before. And before we knew it, we were filling out paperwork. <laughs> wow. So my understanding is, and tell me if this is incorrect, that some people seem to get into fostering to be a soft landing place mm-hmm. for kids and be a safe place but it's temporary. Right. And some people get into fostering with the intent to adopt. Is right. that a fair assessment? It is fair. And yes. where were you guys on that? I mean, if, if you look at it from the state's perspective, the goal is always reunification okay, with the sure. biological family. But there are families who 
you know, want to adopt a child, uh, private adoption maybe is too spendy or um, just not the route that they want to go. Okay. And um, so they, they go into foster care. But um, for us, it was a little bit of both. It was a willingness to adopt okay. if the case came to that point, um, not you know saying, oh, they need to go somewhere else at that point. Uh, but really, we wanted to keep siblings together is what we wanted to do. Sure. So as we got licensed and went through the education process with foster care and, um, and we're moving towards having our license, we kind of narrowed that down, but we didn't care what age necessarily. In fact, they said that we were kind of unique and that we did a license for um, zero to 17. Oh wow. Most people are much more specific yeah. with young kids or you know high school kids. And uh, we were like, we wanted to keep the age close to Dane and Olivia, our older two, just from a logistic standpoint. Cool. Um, maybe just like a scare step younger than them. So we were thinking elementary school kids. <laughs> cool. um, and because of our location, we weren't thinking babies at all. In fact, we told the licensor, we want sibling sets, um, which we were thinking two. We weren't, okay. siblings to us was like two kids. We weren't thinking bigger than that. Right. And um, and we said, you know, we're far from major hospitals, so medically fragile and, and infants maybe are not our priority. Not There's plenty set. of people who want to foster babies. <laughs> and. Um, so that was what we said, and then we ate our words. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Because <laughs> our very first placement was newborn medically fragile triplets. <laughs> oh okay, so how much a part of that decision to go into fostering with the potential to adopt were your children? Because they would have been, what, eight and 10? About eight then? and 10 when we brought the girls home. Okay, so so were they a part, was that a family discussion? Oh yeah, family discussion. How did you get them on board with we that? We discussed with them while we were getting licensed that um, we were going to foster and be, you know, in kid terms, we're going to be a home for kids who, you know, parents need some time to get things together and um, they thought it was really exciting and of course Dean wanted a brother and so he <laughs> was convinced we were going to get a boy his exact age and he was going to have a brother. Um, that's really where his head was. <laughs> and then um, when we knew we were going to bring the triplets home, we sat them down. We had gone out car shopping. We didn't know 100% that we were going to be their placement, but the possibility was strong. And so on faith, we went with the tape measure and measured the backs of every SUV and van <laughs> that we could. Our kids had no idea what we were doing and why. They were just along for the ride. And, and um, you know, because three car seats don't fit in a lot of vehicles right. side by side. So we took them out to Mexican food after all of that and said, well, did you wonder why we're measuring? <laughs> yeah. I said, well, we might be bringing home baby triplets. And they were so excited. It, it like totally eased our our nerves right then and there because they we were nervous, you know, that they might think that was too much or not want babies. And sure. um, they were so excited. They were ready to go to the hospital right then. Oh wow! <laughs> and get up. So that's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So uh, tell me about med medically fragile and needing the triplets and. Um, home. What was that so for them, medically fragile just meant that we brought home one home on one home on oxygen, 
Okay. Um, they all had some digestive issues. Were on medications to speed up their digestion. Okay. At what point were they delivered? How many weeks? Uh, Thirty-two weeks and five days. Okay. So that's pretty, pretty good for early. triplets. Yes, but, but it's good for, for triplets. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty pretty average for triplets actually. Okay. Um, they were born two, three, and four pounds, and so okay. um, we didn't get to meet them until it was time to bring them home from the hospital. Uh, we were only able to bring home two of the three the first week because the littlest one just wasn't quite ready <laughs> to leave okay. the hospital. Um, but we brought uh, Amelia home on oxygen and all three of them had severe reflux and um, swallowing issues. So we, we were on thickened formula and three different medications for their reflux and their, um, their digestive issues. Um, and then about four months down the road, one ended up back on a feeding tube for a period of time. So we had, we were in Spokane more days of the week than we were at home for physical therapy, occupational therapy, feeding therapy, visitations um, with biological parents, court dates, and pediatrician appointments, and gastroenterology appointments. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> How do you still meet the needs of your eight and ten-year-old when you have yes. three newborn high-need babies? It was very difficult, but I think because we had some um, a little bit of adversity, at least spoken to us, like you know, we don't support you doing this, or um, we're worried, you know, that the other kids are gonna miss out if you foster. You know, just, just the common concerns that well-meaning family and friends have. Okay. Um, not everyone understands why someone would choose to bring someone else's kids into their home. And yeah. I understand it's it's usually well-meaning, your family's concerned, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think because of that, I'm kind of someone who digs my heels in harder okay. <laughs> and wants to prove that that's not going to happen. And so um, we dug in, and it, it was hard, but we've... We made a goal that we didn't want their life to look drastically different because we chose to have more children. And it would have been the same if we had more children biologically or through adoption. Sure. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with having a big family. And I feel like society looks down upon big families anymore. Yeah. And that's frustrating. So we just dug in harder and we made sure we made it to their basketball games, their volleyball games, their baseball games, uh, the very first soccer games. <laughs> the girls were still tiny babies and I had them in snowsuits and we carried an oxygen tank and a feeding tube bag and, oh and we sat out there on the field and watched the soccer game um, so and just passed babies around <laughs> from arm to arm and that's that's how we've survived the last five years is doling them out during sports <laughs> you yeah. go see your friend over here and um, I take a bag of tricks everywhere I go for them to play with and color and and we've just made sure that the kids don't feel like we've given up on other opportunities. We've taken family vacations. We've made it to most of their things. You know? That's cool. Well, that's such a hard balance to find that like 
a sibling is one of the greatest gifts you can <laughs> give your children. Right. But it also, you've got to make sure it's not taking away from them as right. well. So, not yeah, that there wasn't times that I cried and thought, was this, but, you know, are we doing the right thing? And I and I don't feel like I'm enough, and uh, there's not enough of me to go around. I don't feel like there's ever enough of me to go around I still. But our kids, um, you know, like for D.A.R.E. graduation, um, when my daughter was in sixth grade, they have to write a letter to their parents at the end, kind of like a commitment to okay. sobriety and stuff that's part of the curriculum. Okay. But she told us how amazing she thought we were and, um, and just how we handle so many kids and how thankful she is for us and stuff. And that was kind of the confirmation that, like, yeah, okay, yeah. we're doing okay. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. What yeah. a gift. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell me about that fostering period, um, I mean, you said the state's goal is always yes, reunification. to, yeah, reunification, so tell me about that and visitation with mom and, yeah. and how that worked. Um, to say that it was easy would be a huge lie. Okay. Um, you fall in love with the kids pretty, pretty instantly. Uh, for my husband, it was instant. For me, it was about a weekend where I had to decide that it was necessary because I couldn't survive parenting triplets. Okay. <laughs> um, with a guard up, yeah. Because of, and the guard was only there because of the situation. Because they might be leaving. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at that point, there had to be a commitment to. <laughs> We're in this, you know. Right. Head over heels. We just got to do it. Um, I'll, I'll tear up. I tear up easily. <laughs> the, at the risk of heartbreak later on. You yeah. Had to commit to that. Yeah. Had to commit. So. Um, I've told people I spent probably more time with bio mom. Uh, that first year than my friends <laughs> wow. because we were um, because we lived so far out the typical things that happen with foster care where you put the kids in a car and they just get driven to a visit and then they magically arrive back home you know two hours later that didn't happen it, possible. Yeah. Um, it, it probably could have but logistically it would have been a nightmare okay um, and I, they were my babies, and I wasn't gonna put them in the car with a stranger and have them travel an hour each way to go to these appointments okay. multiple times a week. So um, thankfully I stayed home. So I would drive them, I would um, sit down the hall in the visitation center while one baby at a time rotated down to visit for 45 minutes. And then while that was occurring, I would have two babies doing their therapy appointments. The therapists would come to me, I had a dietitian, and I had the feeding therapist, and I had the occupational therapist that would meet me there, and we would tend to the two babies, um, you know, evaluations and weight and measure and all of that, adjust their, their feeding needs. There was always, every week, um, their diet changed as far as like how many calories they needed in their bottle and how many scoops of thickener Per baby, each baby had a different um, a different nipple for their bottle. It was a lot. So we would readjust that and evaluate that every week during those visitations. Okay. So it was a lot. I mean, I was carrying in um, rock and plays, boppies, three babies, a double stroller while carrying <laughs> the third stroller. Oh and, um, yeah, and just constant sweat all the time. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess yeah. that's like, yeah. So. And that was just visits. There was, you know, medical appointments too. Because you know how much you go to the doctor just with one baby. Sure. The first year of life. You're there, it seems like, all the time. Right. Um, so, yeah, we were always at a doctor's appointment or we were always at an imaging appointment um, to check on their reflex and, and different things at Sacred Heart. So, yeah, I. I spent a lot of time alongside the biological mom. She was um, rare in that she actually came to a lot of appointments and didn't flake out on visitations and things for the first year. Um, and then the biological father was not in the picture. He was incarcerated, so okay. that didn't change until later in the case. But yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I think so. So. Um, Forgot my next question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, so then what kind of adoption? Do you, do you have an open adoption? Is there still contact with there, biological There mom? is not contact right now. Okay. Um, and being careful and respectful of, of what course. I say on something that's going to be on the internet. Um, I like liked their biological mom as a person. Um, when it came time, that the rights were going to be terminated for the parents. Um, we offered an open adoption agreement and they both agreed and, and we laid out the terms for each of them, um, but there hasn't been any follow through okay. on their side. Okay, so, so the opportunity in the future is still very much open. Yeah, uh, you know, down the road, I think it's been long enough now that it wouldn't be in the girl's best interest to suddenly um, physically introduce them. Okay. I think it's going to have to be something that comes later in life when they ask to and, and they want to. Okay. Um, but it's not, they, they know, they know their story. Uh, they like to say that they're adopted and they, you know, I'll say occasionally when we're snuggling, how did mommy get so lucky to have three great girls like you? And they'll say, because God knew that you needed just the right children. So he gave <laughs> us to you. And I've never said that to them. Cool. at all. I mean, not word for word like that. We have books and we talk about adoption and stuff, but that's their interpretation of wow. how they got here and why they're here. And so I think it's a conversation at this point that we let them evolve and, and initiate with us. Yeah. And things come up every once in a while. They have a relationship with a biological sister that's adopted into another home. And we've had that relationship because they're only 10 months apart in age. So we went through the case together, and that foster, that foster family and us, and um, we did visits together, and uh, have interacted the whole time. And so that relationship is still there, and every once in a while we have to remind the girls, no, she's your sister, not your cousin, and you know, yeah. re-explain how that's possible, that she lives in one home and we live in another. Okay. But, so it's good that they have that connection, and it's good for her that she has the connection to three siblings. So there will be more questions, and there will probably be more, <laughs> you know, more tense moments for us as parents yeah. having to answer the questions. But so far, you know, kids just take it at face value, and, and they ask questions when they're ready. And they ask questions when they're ready. And I'm not yeah. one to um, push that. I feel like just what's age appropriate in as simple terms as possible, and we'll just keep answering those questions as they're age appropriate yeah. when they ask them. So. Yeah. So yeah, right now there's not any contact. Um, they 
they just didn't follow through. Um, and so after a couple of attempts in one year, then that contract is void. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you were doing visitations with biological mom, mm -hmm. and then at what point was it clear that the adoption was possible? For well, right around your a family? year, she had a conversation with me and asked if we would be willing to adopt them. Okay. Um, and of course, we said we loved them and we would do that and that we would work with her, and you know, I talked with her about it for probably half an hour in the parking lot at the therapy center and then we didn't see her again for a period of time um but then it's pretty common it, i don't know what happened but visits started back up with both of um, the biological parents at that point and then we went through a really hard time for the girls we had to have a behavioral therapist and, um the girls were self-harming i mean they were under two they were biting themselves mm -hmm. and banging their heads into the crib and the wall and the floor until they bruised. Um, so we had a behavioral therapist helping with that. And so that was probably the hardest time for us as parents was watching something we couldn't control. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the courts had determined that right around the same time, same six month time frame, um, that it, the case was going to termination of so um, that's it was right around age two was when we signed an agreement with them. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, they were adopted um, in August, so they would have been just a couple months over age two when we actually had our adoption day. Okay. So at that point, does anything change? Does it feel any different? Does life change at um, all? Or is it just... It feels more secure. I mean, okay. that you know you have forever. That, that weight being lifted off um, of worry for their future. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, that felt different, but it didn't feel different on adoption day. It felt different when we know we had come to an agreement. Okay. Um, that was really... The, the adoption day was just, you know, like a confirmation of what we knew. <laughs> okay. Um, but did it, does it change how we feel about them and anything? No, I mean, yeah. it, that's been the same since we brought them home. So, they were our daughters from the very beginning. The very night we brought them home from the hospital, we of course only brought the two home, but it was so sweet because Dana and Olivia, who were 10 and 8, <clears throat> were so excited that they were determined they were going to sleep here in the living room with us. Because our bedroom is pretty far from the nursery. Um, so for the first few months, they actually slept out here in rocking place. Since our bedroom's right on the other side of the wall. Okay. And um, yeah, so they slept on couches. <laughs> and every time one of the girls cried, Olivia and Dane would get up. Or not, no, Dane. I take that back. Dane never woke up. He was okay. asleep the whole night. He was so excited, and he was gonna get up, and he was gonna help all night long. And he never even heard him cry. <laughs> Olivia got up every time and was giving him binkies and talking to him and trying to help feed until finally, I think like four in the morning, I said, "Honey, you cannot keep this up. You have to sleep." Yeah. And so she didn't get up again after that. And then Dane woke up the next morning and he said, "I can't believe it. They slept all night." <laughs> 
was like, oh no, they didn't. <laughs> My husband says things like that, I want to slap him. I know. <laughs> you are so wrong. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, but that's how excited they were. You know, that's they were like fully engaged and they were their sisters from like the very beginning. Oh, so. that's just what you hope for. That's yeah. incredible. That's really cool. So, this has obviously been a beautiful, positive experience for your family overall in receiving these three girls. Do you feel like adoption or fostering is something that everyone would benefit from? Or do you feel like only certain people are equipped for this? That is a tough question. Um, I used to think anybody can do it. And you even hear a doctor or foster advocate say, anybody can do it. Um, I feel like it kind of ate me alive. Really? Even though we have this beautiful story and we have the most wonderful outcome and I would do it all over again, even knowing what I know now, I would go back and do it all over again to have the triplets. Yeah, the girls, yeah. Um, it was really difficult, the most emotional thing that I've ever experienced. So I don't think everybody can do it. <laughs> yeah. What I do think is that everybody can help the foster family. And we were so blessed. I know a lot of um, foster families will say, you know, where's everybody who said they were going to help? <laughs> they're, they're not here. Or, you know, we need help with childcare. We're stressed. We could use a date night. And um, they don't have that community. And I think it's partly where we live. You know, sure. rural America just is a tight-knit um, tight thing. But I grew up here. So I also know You've pretty much everybody here, in yeah. every town around. Um, from the moment we brought them home, I think the very day, I mean, my mind is pretty much a fog from the first year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the very day we brought them home, we had bag after bag of um, clothing. People in Oaksdale heard we were bringing home triplets and they gathered up <clears throat> as much as hand-me-downs as they could and mm -hmm. just dropped it off on our doorstep with casseroles we didn't cook for the first six months. I had friends in, from here to Spokane who miraculously told God me we would be running out of freezer meals. And I had one particular friend in Spokane who would just call me and say, are you coming up this, this week? I have a whole bunch of freezer meals in my freezer that my friends have made for you, people I didn't even know. And she would just meet me in a parking lot and switch it into my cooler <laughs> and send me on my way. So for about six months, we really didn't cook. <clears throat> Started living off paper plates so we didn't have as many dishes to do. Um, and yeah, the community just rallied around us. So I feel like that's where people, if they don't feel called to actually bring children into their home or they're not sure they can do it, then um, see another way that they can help. Mm -hmm. Babysitting would be huge. It used to be that you had to be um, a licensed foster parent to yeah, babysit foster children, yeah. but it's not anymore, as long <clears> as it's not beyond, I don't know, I think like 72 hours or something. Okay. Um, you can help out a foster family by babysitting, and sometimes that's what they need the most, is just time for, you know, husband and wife to go out to dinner, because right. yeah. not only do you have more kids in your house, but you have the weight of what's happened in their life, and what's happening in their case, and frustrations. Um, when things don't look how you think they should um, for their sake. And so it's just really good to be able to get away and process. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Of course, our situation was unique with three tiny babies with all of the needs they had. It was really hard for anybody, even grandparents, to babysit for at least the first year because sure. there was three different recipes for how to mix a bottle. So right. <laughs> it wasn't that first year we didn't get any breaks. Right. So you mentioned other people being involved and you mentioned earlier some some negative things that you have some negative feedback about mm -hmm. during this process. Um, so what are what are some of the wonderful things that you have heard, the supportive things that people have told you along the way, or the um, some of the more detrimental, frustrating things that you've heard about fostering um, and adoption? I really think just the wonderful things are the amount of people who did come alongside and I don't like the, you guys are saints, you're gonna have, you know, you're getting into heaven. I don't like those kind of comments. Okay. <laughs> um, I know that they're, they mean well, you sure, know, sure. but they make me uncomfortable. Um, but just the encouragement, you know, what, I couldn't do what you're doing. I think it's amazing. How can I help? Um, those things were the wonderful things. Of course, the most wonderful thing is that we have three daughters that <laughs> we love completely. Sure. Um, but I can't think of one specific instance where somebody said something that just was completely wonderful. And even that one thing stands out. Sure. It's just the people who were supportive and understanding. That's cool. Um, okay, so the foster care system and adoption process, mm -hmm. um, I think most people can acknowledge that there are problems with it. Um, and it, but it gets a pretty bad rap a lot of the time right now. So in your opinion, what's the foster care system like? What are the main problems? I think it's very broken. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I know what the answer is. I yeah. don't know how is there a better way to keep kids safe with the goal of reuniting them with their family. Um, I think from a lot of foster parents' perspective, the biological parents just get too many chances. Okay. Um, I'm sure that's not their perspective, <laughs> and yeah. I'm sure it wouldn't be mine if someone took my children, you know? Um, but when cases drag on for two years, three years, four years, I've heard of cases lasting seven years. Um, or when you see a kid who is taken from the only home they've ever known for three years of their life since birth and and given to another family member or you know um, given back to parents at that point it's absolutely devastating um, and so that's where I feel like there needs to, to be work they have timelines that are supposed to be met and yet they're not time and time again drags on, it drags on, um, because oftentimes the biological parents can do just enough, they can't terminate their rights, but they also can't give the kids back, so the case just drags on and drags on and drags on to the detriment of the kids. Mm -hmm. So it's broken, there needs to be things um, changed, caseworkers are completely overloaded. There's Again, there's regulations. They're only supposed to have so many cases per person. It's usually double, sometimes triple, um, the caseload that they're supposed to have. And there's just no way that they can keep up. Right. So 
the, the most wonderful part, um, we had great social workers. I don't have anything bad to say about our social workers. Uh, we had three different ones throughout the course of the case. I guess four if you count the adoption worker. And we loved all of them. Um, I've maintained relationship with a couple of them. But the guardian ad litem is often the, the best advocate, which is what they're supposed to be, right? <laughs> um, they're the child advocate. And I don't know what we would have done without our advocate. She was amazing. And I hear from a lot of foster parents that their guardian ad litems or CASAs are, they're like, you know, the one fighting the hardest. So, wow. yeah. And that off, CASA is a volunteer position. It's a court-appointed special advocate. Um, of course, you have to go through a lot of training, but it's volunteer. Guardian ad litem is a paid, paid position, but they're very similar. They're the child's advocates, the child's voice in the courtroom. They come to the house and, and take notes, and they come to ours came to medical appointments with me, and um, you know watched interactions and how things were going. And they go to the visits occasionally, and then they take that to court. Okay. And they can speak, and that's the best interest of the child. Okay, I didn't know anything about that role. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, do you foresee any future? Involvement in foster care or in advocating for maybe programs. in advocating. We um, we closed our license right after we adopted the triplets, sure. um, mostly because we have five kids and three of them are the same age, and yeah. I'm I'm just happy to be at my max. <laughs> yeah, I'm maxed out, and I don't want to just parent. I want to parent well, and so I feel like I could bring in more kids, but. I want to take it one shot at this and I want to do the best I can. Yeah. And so, um, and because I ate my lunch, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, so I'm happy with where we're at right now. Uh, I have talked about, you know, maybe when the kids graduate that I would look into being a CASA or even a visitation supervisor slash driver um, that takes the kids from their foster home to the visit center okay, yeah. and uh, supervises the visits. I could see myself doing something that in a volunteer capacity much down the road though when I'm not running to sports and school yeah. plays. <laughs> when you're not needing to be as present yeah. for your own kids. Yeah, and cooking and cleaning and cooking and cleaning. <laughs> yeah. Around the clock. Yeah. Yep. I know what that's like. <laughs>
having three babies suddenly, I mean, I didn't have the prep time. I didn't carry them for nine months. I didn't know for nine months that I was going to have multiples. Yeah. I got a phone call that said, they're ready to come home. Can you come today? <laughs> you know, and so um, we were thrust into this totally different life. So yeah, I felt very alone the first year. Then someone told me, um, I, there's one other person in this area who has triplets, and she said, did you know that on Facebook there's a group of, there's groups by year for triplets, triplet oh, moms. Wow. I was like, no, how do I find these? They're <laughs> secret groups. You're not able to just search for them and find them. Yeah. Um, because there are some weird creepos out there who have a thing for multiples, and so they'll like try and infiltrate these groups, but thank you. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Um, so I got linked to the administrator for the group for 2014 and was able to join it. And still I felt a little bit like an outsider because one, they had all been together since pregnancy and had gotten to know one another. Okay, yeah. So for a while I just kind of felt like a voyeur a little bit, like watching their conversations. Yeah. Um, but I would pipe in occasionally and then people would want to know more about fostering and, and we would talk about that. Um, so I, I at least was able then at that point to feel like I had other people to go, is this normal? Are your babies doing this? Or is this something I need to be worried about? Because sure. um, I didn't have that before. And now that group is like, you know, friends who I've never met. Yeah. So it, it's a pretty great group of women. There's no um, backbiting and arguing. There's no politics in the group. Cool. Um, it's just a group of moms who are all in this crazy multiples world together who can and talk about it. And right. the only downfall to that is that it's just 2014 moms. And so if I need advice on surviving now for what's yeah. <laughs> preparing for what's next, um, I gotta find moms with older <laughs> multiples. Yeah. Um, but then after, uh, they, oh gosh, the girls were maybe three, and my closest friend in Oaksdale found out she was pregnant with twins her first children and so that's been nice too because um, I have someone else who she'll always say you have it way harder <laughs> but at least she understands right. <laughs> where I'm coming from right. a lot of the time so that's cool yeah that's pretty okay um do you have oh I forgot my question hang on <laughs> okay oh do you have um do you have something that you wish someone had told you at the beginning of this fostering adoption process, the advice you would have given to your younger self? Huh. To relax. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's so hard when you're in this position. I yeah. feel like I'm mentoring um, a friend who's going through her first placement right now. Okay. And I see a lot of how I felt in the beginning in her mm -hmm. right now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, every little thing's not the end of the world, and you, you're gonna get through this. Go in your bathroom, <laughs> cry your eyes out, take a deep breath, come back out. Um, it's gonna be okay. Even when it's not okay, it's still gonna be okay eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great mothering advice for anybody. For anybody. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. This has been really fascinating to <laughs> learn more about this process. Mm -hmm. um, you ready for a speed round? I think so. Okay. I went over the questions last night. Okay. <laughs> Cheryl, what's your favorite sound? Oh, I have a few. Silence. Amen. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, and happy laughter of my kids. Okay. What's your least favorite sound? Any kind of a buzzer. Okay. <laughs> like the buzzer in a gym or um, the alarm clock sound. Uh, yeah. Yes. Any loud, sudden noise. Okay. I'm a fan. That's fair. What's your favorite word? This one I was having a hard time with. My favorite word. It would. My favorite word would be something silly like shenanigans or <laughs> billabong, just because I like <laughs> funny things. Um, yeah. Charlotte, no. No, that God works all things together. I love that. What do you want to learn? That one's hard for me too. Um, I've always had a desire to do like hobby photography. Mm. So I suppose that's still something I want to learn. Um, I'm very amateur. I know some stuff, but I've never taken the time to work on it. Cool. Maybe someday when Maybe someday you have little yeah. kind of triplet people. I'm not so yeah. <laughs> Um, but then I'll have grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. You can take pictures of them? Yeah. What scares you? Mm, anything I can't control. Mm, that's a good answer. Yeah. Well, uh, tell me about a mom that inspires you. My grandma. Uh, she died on the 4th of July this year. But she was my inspiration for pretty much everything. Wow. Yeah. Wife, have to be a good wife and mom and cook. <laughs> What a legacy, Tilly. That's cool. Yeah. Tell me what you're good at. Mm. Well, I'm a fitness instructor. Oh, cool. And I feel like I'm pretty good at that. Pretty good at Zumba. <laughs> um, I'm a good friend. I'm good at being mom. I'm a good cook. My husband's in. All good things. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's great. One of my favorite moments from this conversation with Cheryl is when she talks about needing to choose to love those little girls. Not that they were unlovable, but that she was afraid to give her whole self. And she made the decision to give her whole self, regardless of whatever pain she may feel in the end. Luckily, they were able to keep those girls, and they are a permanent placement in their family. But I love that idea that love is a choice. Love comes when we choose to give our whole selves. And that was a lesson in motherhood to me. Thank you for listening to the More Than Mothering podcast. You can visit the website at morethan-mothering.com for show notes, images, and the video form of this interview, as well as many other interviews with remarkable women. If you are having a less than day, I hope you leave feeling more than. <laughs>